guys know I'm not Tom. Uh, so Tom is out in Florida, and uh, so I'm gracious. He's graciously let me come up here and share with you guys this morning what God's put in my heart. Before we do anything, does anyone need a Bible? Because you might get a paper cut today. There's going to be a lot of verses that we're going to go over. And as you guys see, while they're handing out the Bibles, praise the Lord, look at all these packages for Operation Christmas Child. Isn't that amazing? And we know that every single box, other than the toys and crayons and everything that's in there, there's going to be a gospel message, and that's most important. Um, so let's go ahead and pray. Father God, we thank you and praise you for who you are and how you are sovereign. And we know that these packages are going to go out to these kids that may have never heard you and don't have anything, maybe live in um, dirt floors, Lord. We just pray, God, that your spirit would move on their hearts And as they have that uh, pamphlet about the greatest journey, Lord, that their hearts would be opened, Lord, that you would do your work because we know that you move. We also pray for this time right now, Lord, that your presence would be here, that everyone would be ready to receive what it is that you would say, have ears to hear, and apply it to our lives, that we not take this casually. We pray that you be glorified under the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. So what the Lord's put on my heart is with the holidays coming around, um, you're going to have these conversations. And the conversation, at some point, when you bring up the gospel, perhaps someone's going to ask you, what about those who have never heard the gospel? This question is a valid and important question to ask. With billions of people on earth, the ones who ask usually have say something to the effect of how can God judge those who have never heard the gospel? When I hear that question from time to time, myself or maybe um, people conjure this image about some guy in Africa who's so destitute uh, that he is struggling to survive and yet somehow noble because he is untouched by modern um, comforts and vices. Isn't he innocent, they'll say. Some will go on to say, I don't believe in a God that would send someone to hell, that God is not the God I know. My God is loving And understands and accepting. I believe that some do wrestle with what about those who have never heard the gospel. But also when sharing the gospel, that question is thrown out sometimes to derail the conversation. Perhaps to stump you uh, and imply that somehow God is unjust. With this social atmosphere, have you heard of relativism? The simple definition from Merriam-Webster is the belief that different things are true and right for different people or at different times. Relativism propagates that there is no absolute truth. There is no universal right or wrong in the world, and each culture, therefore, is entitled to establish and live by its own rules. Here's how it looks in our society. We have so many opinions about about many things while being self-absorbed. For example, we are lectured to be tolerant and accepting, um, and this emboldens wicked ambitions like satanic after-school clubs and everything in between. This relativism is like a disintegrating venom 
on people's souls, whether they know it or not. It's like a snake bite that leads to tissue necrosis. It literally deadens the flesh and can lead to amputation or death. Proverbs 4.12 says, There is a way that seems right to man, to a man, but its end is the way to death. Now, here's the good news. Our God, he does not change. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And we have words of eternal life, and this is not our home. This is our battlefield that we inhabit as ambassadors by design. We are to go out and make disciples of men. We, we must focus on the objective of sharing the good news. For Paul wrote Romans 1, 16-17. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also for the Greek, for it is in the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith as it is written, the just shall live by faith. Now we're going to stop right there because I want to tell you we're going to go over parts of Romans 1, Romans 1, Romans 2, and some parts in Acts. So get ready. First, we're going to look at Romans 1, 18 to 25. And while you're turning there, the purpose of this study today is to point to man's conscience, God's creation, God's movement, and the eternal decision. So for those who ask about them that haven't heard the gospel, let's look and see what God has put in place for all men to contemplate. Let's look at this head on. Romans 1, 18 to 25. I'm going to break this up into two sections. But the first, we're going to start here. And listen closely to what it says. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness because what may be known of God is manifest in them for God has shown it to them now let's stop here for a minute verse 18 suppress the truth means to restrain or hold down why because men are denying that God made creation which is obvious and are under wrath not only that but they hold it in ungodliness and unrighteousness, and this will unfold further. Ungodly is not revering God. Unrighteous is sinful or wicked. So verse 19 says, what is manifest in them? What could that be? Let's take a brief segue now. We're going to go to Romans 2. Uh, please turn to Romans chapter 2 and look at 11 through 16. And while you're turning there, Chapter 1, 2, and part of 3, you know, God's using Paul to, to share about or talk about man's unrighteousness. And so Paul's letting the reader know in this section uh, that man innately knows that he is sinful all on his own and no one has to tell him. But look at Romans 2, verse 11 through 16. It says, I'll read this slow. For there is no partiality with God. For as many as have sinned without law will also perish without law. 
And as many as have sinned in the law will be judged by the law. For not the hearers of the law are just in the sight of God, but the doers of the law will be justified. For when the Gentiles who do not have the law by nature do the things in the law, these, although not having the law, are a law to themselves, who show the work of the law written in their hearts, their conscience also bearing witness, and between themselves, their thoughts excusing or else ex- accusing or else excusing them, in the day when God will judge the secrets of men by Jesus Christ according to my gospel. So what Paul is saying here is that there are two types of people, the Jews and everybody else. Whether or not man had the law, the Ten Commandments, like the Jews, or even people without the law or law to themselves. The Bible says all have sinned, Romans 3.23. People who have never seen the Bible still know right from wrong. Every society and culture have laws in place as standards. It is wrong to murder. It is wrong to lie. It is wrong to steal, bear false witness. James 2.10 says, For whoever shall keep the whole law and yet stumble in one point is guilty of all. It is already written in our hearts. People who will be judged not for what they don't know, but what they do know. Remember Romans, I'm sorry, uh, excuse me, Jeremiah 17.9 says, The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? So now we're going to go back to Romans 1 to continue on with this thought about God's creation. Romans 1, starting in verse 20. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so they, so that, excuse me, so that they are without excuse, because although they knew God, they did not glorify him as God, nor were thankful and became futile in their thoughts. Their foolish hearts were darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools and changed the glory of the incorruptible God into an image made like corruptible man and birds and four-footed animals, and creeping things. Therefore, God also gave them up to uncleanliness in the lust of their hearts to dishonor their bodies among themselves, who exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshipped and served the creature rather than the creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. So, in Romans, that verse 20 to 23, think about it, it says, His invisible attributes are clearly seen being understood by the things that are made. There is a general revelation that is evident in nature. By just observing the world around us, His creation points to a creator. But some worship anything but God. Here's an excerpt from... PR Newswire, April 20th of this year, titled Global Earth Day Gratitude Celebration, April 22nd, 2016. Give thanks to Mother Earth 
with our actions. Here's a snippet. As Deepak Chopra reminds us, we call her the environment, but Mother Earth is our extended body that nourishes our existence in every moment of our life. Let us work to keep her sustainable so we may in turn be nourished and sustained. Start by devoting at least one hour, April 22nd, 2016, to giving thanks for Mother Nature and getting close or getting as close as possible to personal net zero. That's a carbon footprint. Deepak Chopra is an, is an Indian American author, public speaker, alternative medicine advocate, and a prominent figure in the New Age movement. Did you notice that in this snippet, not only was creation glorified by saying that Mother Earth nourishes our existence, but also gave thanks to the creation. Also, even this natural revelation to point to, even with this natural revelation, um, to point to creator God, they professed themselves to be wise and became fools. Proverbs 3.7 says, Be not wise in thy own eyes, fear the Lord and depart from evil. So God, in his righteousness, has already given man a conscience, set him in the world so intricate and, and detailed that points to, create, to a creator, just like a painting points to a painter, or like a building points to an architect or a builder, Hebrews 3.4 says, For every house is built by someone, but he who built all things is God. People are lost, not because of what they don't know, but because they are sinners. And God's holiness and justice demands that their sins be eternally punished. Now, let's move on past that and let's look at God's movement and his righteousness in Scripture. Deuteronomy 3.24 says, He is the rock. His work is perfect. And all his ways are justice, a a God of truth and without injustice. Righteous and upright is he. So that's, that's God. God says in Ezekiel 18.23, Do I have any pleasure that all, all that the wicked should die, says the Lord God, and not that he should turn from his ways and live? Who's to say God cannot reach out to sinful man in multiple ways with the same message? It started out with the light of God's creation to tug on people's heart and their conscience also bearing witness to the truth that they have. God, gracious, God also graciously does move to let people know about him. It's the missionary in, in the jungle. It's in the office. It's the person on the street sharing the good news for the first time or trying to make someone understand. It's the church service, the Christian radio, reaching unreached people where no one has physically gone before to tell of Christ's love. It's the internet, the social media. It's the sharing of the truth of the gospel. In some cases, it's through dreams and visions or some other divine intervention. We, as Christians, must share the gospel. That is our purpose in life. And it is how we glorify God. Telling others about Jesus Christ, Acts 4.12 says, Nor is there salvation in any other, for there is no other name under heaven, given among men by which we must be saved. 
Here are some examples of God doing his work to get the message out throughout the books, throughout the book of Acts. God had his missionaries out like Peter, Paul, and Philip. God used people to share the good news of the gospel to reach the lost, and that has not changed. We Christians with our spiritual heritage come from a long line of missionaries to share it with the world. The gospel has not changed, and, and here are some examples of how God is reaching the lost through his ambassadors. We're going to hit three different stories in Acts. They're going to be long, but please just go with it because it's going to reveal God's, God's truth. We're going to first start at Acts uh, chapter 8, verse 26 to 39. And with these, we're just going to read through it. While you're turning, we read about the Ethiopian eunuch. This is an example of someone who at some point received knowledge of God, but did not understand. And God met him where he was at. Here's what it says. Now an angel of the Lord spoke to Philip, saying, Arise and go towards the south along the road which goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert. So he arose and went. God told Philip just to go to a desert. He didn't tell him anything else, but he went. And behold, a man of Ethiopia, a eunuch of great authority under Candace, the queen of the Ethiopians, who had charge of all her treasury and had come to Jerusalem to worship, was returning. And sitting in his chariot, he was reading Isaiah the prophet. Then the spirit said to Philip, go near and overtake this chariot. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading the prophet Isaiah and said, do you understand what you are reading? Now, this is so cool. God's orchestrated this. This guy in the middle of the desert reads something God told Philip to go. He's orchestrating this meeting. It says, and he said, how can I, unless someone guides me, and he asked Philip to come up and sit with him. The place in the scripture which he led which he read was this. It's about Jesus. He was led as a sheep to the slaughter, as a lamb before its shearer is silent. So we opened not his mouth. In his humiliation, his justice was taken away. And who will declare his generation? For his life is taken from the earth. So the eunuch answered Philip and said, I ask you of whom does the prophet say this? Of himself or of some other man? Then Philip opened his mouth and beginning at this scripture, preached Jesus to him. Now, as they went down the road, they came to some water and the eunuch said, see, here is water. What hinders me from being baptized? And Philip said, if you believe with all your heart, you may. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the son of God. So he commanded the chariot to stand still. And both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water and he baptized him. And when they came out of the water, the spirit of the Lord caught Philip away so that the eunuch saw him no more and he went on his way rejoicing. That's awesome what God did. God moves. In Acts, we're going to go to Acts 17 now. Acts 17, while you're turning there, it's going to be verses 16 to 34. But at this place, Paul is preaching in Athens. It's, it's, the, 
It's the birthplace of our renowned philosophers like uh, Plato, Aristotle, uh, Socrates. And it's amazing how God graciously is reaching out through Paul. They're the intellectuals of, of that day, I guess you could say. I want to read this account because it shows that men believe and worship something no matter who they are. Because we human beings are hardwired that way. But God is not the author of confusion. He uses Paul to let them know about himself. So this is where we're going to start. Verse 16. Now while Paul waited for them at Athens, his spirit was provoked within him when he saw that the city was given over to idols. How to worship. Therefore, he reasoned in the synagogue with the Jews and with the Gentile worshipers and in the marketplace daily with those who happened to be there. Then certain Epicurean and Stoic philosophers encountered him and some said, what does this babbler want to say? Others said, he seems to be a proclaimer of foreign gods because he preached to them Jesus and the resurrection. And they took him and brought him to the Areopagus, saying, May we know what this new doctrine is of which you speak? For you are bringing some strange things to our ears. Therefore, we want to know what these things mean. For all the Athenians and the foreigners who were there spent their time in nothing else but either to tell or hear something new. Then Paul stood in the midst of the Areopagus and said, Men of Athens, I perceive that in all things you are very religious. For, I, for as I was passing through and considering the objects of your worship, I even found an altar with the inscription to the unknown God. Therefore, the one... Now, Paul's going to start talking to them about Jesus. Therefore, the one whom you worship without knowing him, I proclaim to you. God who made the earth and everything in it, since he is the Lord of heaven and earth, does not dwell in temple, temples made with hands, nor is he worshipped with men's hands as though he needed anything, since he gives to all life, breath, and all things. And he has made from one blood every nation of men to dwell on all the face of the earth and has, pre and has determined their pre-appointed times and the boundaries of their dwellings, so that they should seek the Lord in the hope that they, may, they might grope after him and find him, though, he not, though he's not far from each one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being. Also, some of your own poets have said, we are also his offspring, therefore... Since we are the offspring of God, we ought not to think that the divine nature is like gold or silver or stone, something shaped by art and man's devising. Truly, these times of ignorance God overlooked, but now commands all men everywhere to repent, because he has appointed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by the man whom he has ordained. Let's stop here for a moment. Now, you don't have to turn to Genesis 18, 
But just to relay this portion here. In Genesis 18, uh, it says that God's a righteous judge. And it's the story uh, where God let Abraham know that he was going to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. Even Christians know the story, but a lot of non-Christians know the story. At least they know that you know, God uh, sent judgment. But they don't know everything. Abraham was concerned for his nephew Lot, who took residence there, and asked God many times if he would destroy the righteous with the wicked. People think God just destroyed everybody without regard. But that is not the case. So Abraham, in that story, kept asking God, you know, if there was 50 righteous, would you spare the city? If there was 45, it was 30. And it came down to 10. God said he would not destroy the city for the sake of 10. Ultimately, Lot and his two daughters were spared. But what I want to point out is what Abraham says to God in 1825 before this whole thing started when he heard the news. It says, Far be it from you to do such a thing as this, to slay the righteous with the wicked, so that the righteous should be as the wicked. Far be it from you. Judge, shall not the judge of all the earth do right? That's what Abraham was talking to God about. God is just. Going back to, to finish off the part of Acts here, Going back to verse, I'll start over verse 31 again. I just wanted to segue that because God is going to judge man in righteousness. Verse 31, because he has appointed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by the man whom he has ordained. Paul goes on, he has given assurance of this to all by raising him from the dead. And when they heard of the resurrection of the dead, some mocked, while others said, we will hear you again on this matter. So Paul departed from among them. However, some men joined and believed. Among them, Dionysus, the Areopagite, a woman named Damaris, and others with them. So even in that myriad of beliefs, God still showed up. They didn't even expect to hear the good news. It said that some believed, some of them being Dionysus. Dionysus, his name uh, in the pagan culture, that's the god of Greek fertility and wine. But tragically, some said, we will hear you again on this matter. Uh, So apart from God's natural creation to get people's attention, God has given man a conscience. Apart from his missionary work and evangelizing efforts, Sometimes God uses supernatural dreams or visions to get, uh, to get people's attention. Just like right now in the Muslim world, if you look it up, God is working there through dreams and visions. The thing is, is that they'll hear about Jesus, but it always goes back to they've got to hear the whole gospel. They've got to hear more of him. God will direct people to where they need to be. And there's a movie that I'll shamelessly plug called More Than Dreams. I watched it a few years ago. And it is an amazing movie, if you guys get a chance to see it. But it's about that very thing, dreams and visions in the Middle East. So now the last part in Acts we're going to go to is Acts chapter 10. Now I know we've we've read a lot of scripture, so I won't read everything in this story, but it's still very important because we're going to talk about the first Gentile convert 
That's Cornelius. And how God used the vision to orchestrate getting the gospel to him. So we're going to start with Acts chapter 10, 1 through 5, and then we'll skip a little bit throughout that chapter. Here's what it says. There was a certain man in Caesarea called Cornelius, a centurion of what was called the Italian regiment, a devout man and one who feared God and all his household, who gave alms generously to all the people or to the people and prayed to God always. About the ninth hour of the day, he saw clearly in a vision an angel of God coming in and saying to him, Cornelius, and when he observed him, he was not afraid and said, he was afraid, I'm sorry, and said, what is it, Lord? So he said to him, your prayers and your alms have come up for a memorial before God. Now send men to Joppa and send for Simon, whose surname is Peter. Remember, Peter is the fisherman that God had called. And it's so cool that, you know, God went in and told him, hey, go get Peter because he'll tell you more about me, essentially. We'll continue with this here. So we're going to talk about, now that was the vision Cornelius had. Moving on, we'll read to verse 20. So we're going to start from 9. So he tells him he's a tanner, he's with a, a tanner by a house of the sea. But verse 9, we'll start there. The next day, as they went on their journey and drew near the city, Peter went up on the housetop to pray about the sixth hour when he became very hungry and wanted to eat. And while they were while they made ready, he fell into a trance and saw heaven open in an object like a great sheet bound at the four corners descending to him and let down to the earth. Now, the background here is that Peter, you know, was raised with the dietary laws. Um, he didn't eat anything unclean. So then in verse 12, it says, in it were all kinds of four-footed animals of the earth wild beast, creeping things, and the birds of the air. And a voice came to him, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. And Peter said, Not so, Lord, for I have never eaten anything common or unclean. And a voice spoke to him again a second time, What God has cleansed you must not call uncommon. This was done three times, and the object was taken up into heaven again. Now, while Peter wondered within himself, what, what's this vision which he had seen meant? Behold, the men who had been sent from Cornelius had been made, made inquiry for Simon's house and stood before the gate. So as Peter is listening to this or, or thinking just like what just happened, and they called and asked, whether Simon, whose surname was Peter, was lodging there. And Peter thought about the vision, and the Spirit said to him, Behold, three men are seeking you. Arise, therefore, go down and go with them, doubting nothing, for I have sent them. God moves. 
We're going to stop there, and then we're going to skip down to verse 34. And what happens in between is that eventually Peter gets there, and Peter and Cornelius swap stories about how God moved on their heart to meet each other. So then now that Peter's there, and you know, Cornelius, it says earlier that you know, he got his family together and friends. Then it says in verse 34, we're going to read from 34 to 48. So while he's there, then Peter opened his mouth and said, In truth, I perceive that God shows no partiality. But in every nation, whoever fears him and works righteousness is accepted by him. The word which God sent to the children of Israel, preaching peace, through Jesus Christ, he is Lord of all. That word, you know, which was proclaimed throughout all Judea and began from Galilee after the baptism which John preached, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power who went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. And we are witnesses of all things which he did both in the land of the Jews and in Jerusalem, whom they killed by hanging on a tree. God raised him up on the third day and showed him openly, not to all the people, but to witnesses chosen before by God, even to us who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. And he commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that it is he who was ordained by God to be judged of the living and the dead. To him all the prophets witness that through his name, whoever believes in him shall receive remission of sins. While While Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit fell upon all those who heard the word. And those of the circumcision who believed were astonished. As many came with Peter because of the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out on the Gentiles also. For they heard them speak the tongues and magnify God. Then Peter answered, Can anyone forbid water that these should not be baptized who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of the Lord. Then they asked him to stay a few days. So God moves. God moves. We cannot think for a minute that, well, God can only work a certain way. He can do whatever he wants. He can move. So as Christians, we know God moves, even if we don't see it. So what are we Christians going to do? We need to go fish for men and women. Romans ten fourteen to 15 says, How then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him of whom they have, they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the gospel of peace, who bring glad tidings of good things. So in closing, what about them that have never heard? If you truly care for the lost souls in order to help them, what about you? For you who do not truly know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, please listen. Going back to that picture of the snake bite, the dead flesh from the snake bite. 
You know, in our culture now, there's a popular show called Walking Dead. It's all about zombies. The thing is, is that in our sphere of influence and in our world, there's walking dead around us, walking dead spiritually, that they don't know that they're going to hell. They don't know. So it is decision time. You do not have to be dead in sin. You can accept Jesus Christ right now as your Lord and Savior. Romans 10.9 says that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. To not make a decision and to wait for a more convenient time is a decision, thus rejecting Jesus Christ. Because this is an example of suppressing the truth. And you don't have much longer. You will die. And you don't know when. But here's the good news. We have the cure. John 14, 6 says, Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one gets to the Father but through me. You know, Christianity is so exclusive in that it's about Jesus Christ alone, but yet inclusive because Jesus died for the world. Matthew 7, verse 13 and 14 says, speaking of Jesus, and and this is Jesus' words, not mine. Enter by the narrow gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leads to destruction, and there are many who go in by it, because narrow is the gate, And difficult is the way which leads to life. There be few who find it. There's only one way. Will you accept Jesus Christ into your heart right now to be your Lord and Savior? If anyone is listening who doesn't know the Lord, you go to bed thinking, what's the purpose of my life at some times and what happens when I die? You don't have to think about, I wonder, I wonder, I wonder. No. Just surrender to Jesus Christ. I'm going to ask, does anybody here not know the Lord? Does anybody here want to give their life to Jesus Christ? I encourage you, after the service... If anybody wants to speak to one of the elders, we're happy to pray with you. We're happy to speak to you. Let's go ahead and end in a word in prayer. Father, we thank you and praise you, Lord, because we then here as Christians know what we ought to do. Lord, we pray, God, that your words will stir our hearts that we would not be casual with the information that we know, but we would get it out, Lord. It's your work, but help us to open our mouth like you did with Philip and Paul and Peter. Help us, Lord, not to be ashamed, but to be bold to share it, Lord. We thank you, God, how you move. You've given us a conscience. you made this creation, but you move and you do the work. And we thank you that we get to be a part of it, God. So we ask that you be glorified and magnified in Jesus' name. Amen.